Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Well, as we uh, launch into part two, let me uh, begin with a challenging thought this morning. Uh, And that's this. Your spiritual reach will never exceed your spiritual depth. Think about that. Your spiritual reach will never exceed your spiritual depth. The extent to which you can be effective for God and the extent to which God can work by His Holy Spirit supernaturally through you is in part greatly governed by how deeply you and I are grounded in God. Amen? Again, your spiritual reach will never exceed your spiritual depth. Yes, it is God by His Holy Spirit who works through His people, but you and I must be committed to doing the things in life that are going to cause us to grow deeply in the things of God. And one of the most vital tools that we have available to us that release the Holy Spirit's activity in and through us is the Word of God and prayer. And if we're not reading God's Word, and if we're not praying, then I question how effective our spiritual reach can be. You know, I often find myself talking to, um, to leaders, church leaders, about digging wells. What wells are you digging in your life? Because the truth is, I don't particularly care and I don't think God particularly cares how talented, charismatic and popular you might be. If you're not digging spiritual wells in which streams of living water can flow to refresh and to heal and to cleanse others, then I would question that you have anything of any measurable spiritual power to offer at all might sound a bit harsh, but that's okay. You see, if we're, we're not going to have anything to offer to others if we're not committed to digging wells ourselves. Your spiritual reach will never exceed your spiritual depth. Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 18. And the Apostle Paul writes, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I uh, want us to look at that first part of verse 18 where Paul says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Now, us Charismatics and Pentecostals get really, really excited about that because we think it just means I can just cut sick and pray 24-7 in my spiritual language, my prayer language, to pray in tongues. Uh, Hey, it might include that, but is that all it is? And I would suggest absolutely not. 
I would suggest this morning that to pray in the Spirit is to pray with the mind of the Spirit from the perspective of the Spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, I would suggest, probably for many of us, 90% of our prayer life is not prayed from the perspective of the Spirit. 90% of our prayer life is prayed from our human perspective. Dear God, I have an exam today. Please help me. Dear God, Aunty Mavis has the shingles. Please ease that pain for her. Uh, Dear God, I've got to preach this morning. Help me. Now, there's nothing wrong with those prayers. They're all good prayers. They're important prayers. But when Paul says pray in the Spirit on all occasions, we need to know that the context is actually about an unseen spiritual battle. He says in verse 12 of chapter 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And Paul is saying that we pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Praying in the Spirit is allowing our minds and our spirits to be aligned with God, to perceive and to discern this unseen spiritual battle that we are caught up in from God's perspective. And friends, this is why when we engage in ministry, whatever kind of ministry we engage in, we must do it in this total spirit of dependency upon God. God, I can't do this myself. I'm depending upon you to do something in and through me. Because friends, we've got to know, as we said last week, we are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle, like it or not. And we need to pray in the Spirit. We need to pray from the Spirit's perspective. We need to pray in accordance with the mind of the Spirit from the perspective of the Spirit. Because the only way that we are going to be effective in a spiritual battle is by plugging in to supernatural resources. That's the essence of our faith. 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And there's a lot of strongholds in our world today that God's people need to be equipped to demolish. Can I hear an amen? We don't do it by clever programming. We don't do it by convincing arguments. It's not a human activity. It's a divine activity. I hope that makes sense. Now, all of that raises a question. Why is our role to pray in the face of that? Why is our role of prayer necessary? I mean, surely God's able to do all of that without our personal involvement in prayer. I mean, why do we need to pray? Jesus said these words in Matthew 6 and 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now that poses a question that perhaps many of us have 
asked of this verse. If God knows what we need before we ask him, why do we need to ask him? If the Father knows what we need before we ask him, why spend time asking him for things that he already knows you need? I mean, it sounds like a huge waste of our time. It sounds like a huge waste of God's time to be talking to him about things he already knows and needs that we have that he's already aware of. But the instruction here is even though your father knows what you need, you will ask him. Now, we've got to understand this this morning. If God is sovereign, and he is, and if his will is perfect, and it is, why do we pray prayers believing that things will actually change? I mean, why do we bother to pray for somebody who's going through rough circumstances when God has the last say anyway? Here's a challenging thought. If somebody came up to you on the street and said, hey, you're a Christian, why do you pray? How would you answer that? Maybe our answer would go something like this. Well, God is like a father. He's our heavenly father. And just like a human father, he likes his children to come and ask him for things, even though a human father generally knows what their child needs. But expresses a child's dependency on the father. So with our heavenly father, God likes us to ask him for things, even though he already knows what we need because it expresses our dependency upon him. Now, that's a nice answer. And in part, it's good and there is some truth in that. But is it enough? And let me say this today, even though God knows everything there is to know, even though God knows what we need, we still need to understand that there are things in our life that will only ever be realised if we pray. And if that wasn't true, there's a whole bunch of scripture that is totally unnecessary. Verses like James 4 and 2, which says you do not have because you do not ask. Because praying actually makes a difference. But still, there's the question. If God knows everything there is to know, what's the point of me spending time telling God things he already knows? Why do I pray for somebody in hospital? I say, God, you know, that guy's in hospital. Would you please bless him and heal him and give him quick recovery? Does God then go, man, I, I wonder what happened to that guy. He wasn't at home. I had no idea where he was. Thanks for giving me a heads up. Now, that's silly. God doesn't do that. Of course God knows. God knows everything there is to know. So why spend time telling him things? Secondly, if God has plans, and he does, and if God's plans are good, and they are, why spend time making suggestions to God as to what I think God should do in a particular situation? Because we've got to have rocks in our head to think that we could bring a suggestion to God that was better than anything God had ever thought of anyway. I'd never pray and say, Lord, I, I, I just pray that you would do this and I pray that you would do that and I pray that you would do that and pray that you'd do that. And God goes, man, that's absolutely awesome. I never thought of any of that. I, I think I'll do that. Good on you. Again, it's a nonsense. That'll never happen. So why pray? Why not just pray and say, Lord, your will be done in every situation. And that kind of covers off on everything. Well, as we look at the examples in the Bible, apparently that doesn't cover off on everything. I mean, why did, why did Jesus 
Jesus, why did he spend all night in prayer? Why does the Apostle Paul say, pray without ceasing? So I want to begin to answer this question of why do we bother to pray? Why pray? By taking us on a little bit of a side road, framed by the question, why did God create human beings in the first place? Because as we read the creation story in Genesis 1, we find two purposes, two reasons why God created humanity. First of all, in Genesis 1 and 26, it says, let us make man in our image. There's purpose number one. Let us make man in our image. The image of God in this context simply means that you and I are created to reflect the character of God and the, the, the nature of God, his moral character. So if you observed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the equation, you would see in the way that they spoke to one another, the way they loved each other, the way they communicated, the way that they went on about their life, you would see reflected in their nature, the nature and character of God. So that's number one purpose. Number two purpose, as we continue to read, let us make man in our own image and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over the creatures that move along the ground. So the second thing is that God created human beings to rule over the earth. He gave to us dominion. Now, whilst God's purpose was that mankind would exercise that authority over the earth, the way it was supposed to happen was in relationship with God, in submission to God and in total dependency upon God. But it's interesting that the nature of the sin that caused Adam and Eve to fall, it was all about them acting in independence of God. That was the sin. And when they disobeyed God, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve died spiritually. Ephesians 4 and 18, they became separated from the life of God. And as a result of them being separated from the life of God, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and 22, in Adam all die. So we carry that sin nature. Not only did Adam and Eve die, but the whole human race is born spiritually dead, separated from God. And not only that, we're also told that the whole of creation fell. Romans 8 and 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And creation fell so much. Creation fell to the extent that Jesus, on three occasions, called Satan the prince of this world. How did Satan become prince of this world? Is it because at some time Satan defeated God? Absolutely not. Satan never has, never can, and never will defeat God. 
Satan is the prince of this world, not because he defeated God. Satan is the prince of this world because he defeated human beings to whom God gave dominion over this world. Are you getting the picture? And that's why prayer is so vitally important. Because get this, you and I are still charged with the responsibility of authority over the world. And in the exercise of that authority, we can keep God out as Adam did, or we can let God in. What's wrong with the world today? When you look at the world today, what's wrong with the world? The thing that's wrong with the world is people. There's no question that the world is in a mess, but it's not because God has lost control. Friends, God is sovereign and He is in total control. But God, in His sovereignty, gave to human beings the responsibility to exercise dominion over the world. And this is why the world is in the mess that it is, because that responsibility did not stop the day that Adam sinned. But today, the world is in a mess because mankind is exercising the authority that the Creator gave to them to have dominion over His creation, we're exercising that authority with no relationship with our Creator at all. And instead of being driven by our relationship with God and responsible stewardship of the resources that God has blessed us with, it's now driven by selfish greed and ambition. And the whole of creation is groaning because of that. Because we've taken the power, we've taken the dominion, we've taken the authority, we've exercised that authority and yet it's totally corrupt because it's not in relationship with the Creator. Does that make sense? So what does all that have to do with prayer? Prayer is important, friends, because it is about giving God access. This is true on a personal level. Another challenging thought today. Every one of us here this morning is actually as near to God as you choose to be. Every one of us is as near to God as we choose to be, as we want to be. Every one of us is as spiritual as we want to be. And to the extent, the extent to which we say, Lord, have your way in my life. I surrender everything to you. God will come in and he will do just that. He will be your Lord. But the extent to which we say, God, I'm keeping you out. God will stay out. And please, can I beg you, don't compartmentalize your life. The most foolish thing that we can do is to compartmentalise and yet we're so good at it. Blokes are particularly really good at it. And we've got our work life, we've got our family life, we've got our sport and hobbies life, we've got our whatever life and then we've got the God box over here as well. Allow God access to every compartment, every area of your life. Father, I invite you in. Be Lord, rule in my life. Because the extent to which we say, God, have your way, he will have his way. 
But he forces himself on nobody. The extent to which we keep him out, God will stay out. And this is why the Bible warns us not to grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit or resist the Holy Spirit because we can do just that. And one of the functions of prayer is to exercise this awesome privilege we have of bringing God in to any and every situation. I just want to read to you a, a verse in Matthew chapter 16. And this is a passage where Jesus talks about the church. In fact, he only talks about the church on two occasions in chapter 16 and chapter 18 in Matthew. Matthew 16 and verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Verse 19, he says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's unpack this a little bit because this is a really critical statement. Firstly, God is giving to us, God is giving to the church the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Well, I, I love the, how the message translation puts it. And it says, and that's not all. Listen to this, you'll have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door, no more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, a no on earth is a no in heaven. I'll read that again. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. Friends, this is awesome. But the second thing that I see in this passage, and it's really important for us to understand this today, you've got to notice the initiative starts with us. And if we can get a hold of this today, this is going to prompt us and, and I pray transform our prayer life. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Normally, we would expect it to be the other way around, that the initiative is in heaven. Whatever is bound in heaven will be bound in earth, loosed in heaven, loosed on earth. But he doesn't say that. What is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The initiative takes place on earth. Now, the language that this is written in is not English, and it's written in Greek, and they have a, uh, a sentence construct that we don't have. And it's called the perfect present, oh, sorry, the perfect future tense. And this is what it means, quite literally. Whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will already have been loosed in heaven. And even if you're glazing over at all of that, here is the point today. There are things in heaven waiting to be bound on earth, things in heaven waiting to be loosed on earth, but they're not bound and they're not loosed until the church which is whom Jesus is addressing in this passage, 
until the church on earth acts and exercises the authority and the dominion that God has given to it. Does that make sense? In Matthew 18, second occasion where Jesus talks about the church, verse 18, I'll tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's uh, the same thing, he's repeating it. But then he contextualizes it in the context of prayer. Verse 19, again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. So he's repeating a similar statement, but he adds to it, what you ask for on earth will be given to you from heaven. And it's in the context of prayer. And friends, this is one of the privileges of prayer. It's one of the blessings of prayer is that you and I can invite God in to every situation. We can invite Him to be a part of everything that happens in our lives. Because like it or not, God's strategy to work in the world is always 100% through people. We're the church. We are the continuing ministry of Jesus in the world today. Messes with our heads. We might not like it. But it's the truth. God has called us. God has purposed us. God has destined us. You are born intentionally by the design of our Creator, born into such a time and place as this to be God's representative in this world today, to exercise the authority that is given to us corporately as the church. And it doesn't lessen the sovereignty of God that He gives that authority to us. It's just the way a sovereign God chooses to work. And here's the simple truth. Wherever you see God moving, you will find, God, you will find people praying. Wherever you see God moving, you will find people praying. And when we pray, we are just aligning ourselves with God. When we pray, we're just saying, God, I, I, I'm just giving everything to you. I, I'm, I'm placing myself in total dependency upon you, God. And God, in this situation where we've got to break down some strongholds, in this situation where the church needs to be on the offensive, not on the defensive, God, you've given us dominion. But the only way that we can do that is by knowing the heart of the Creator, by being empowered by the Spirit of the Creator. And friends, in exercising the authority that God has given to us. In exercising the authority that God has actually given to the entire human race. We can keep God out and act as though we're self-sufficient. That means, God, we don't need you. Or we can bring him in and see God work. Friends, God is at work in people's lives. I'll ask the team to come back this morning. And again, you will find wherever God is at work, people are praying. And this is really exciting. God is working because people are praying. But let me say this, and I think this is important for us to understand. Prayer is not saying, well, God, because you have given to human beings authority over the earth 
well, you better do this because I'm telling you to do it. No, again, that's not a wise thing to do. God answers to nobody. Prayer isn't making threats to God. We cannot make God do what he doesn't want to do. But we can prevent God doing what he might do. We know that because there's passages in the Bible that speak to that. Psalm 78 and 41. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. That's powerful and scary at the same time. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited God. They prevented God from doing what He would do. And again, to make that clear, we cannot make God do what He doesn't want to do, but we can limit God doing what He does want to do. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is speaking to the Sanhedrin council. This is the Jewish authorities, the Jewish leadership. And he says, you're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Spirit. And again, the context here is, man, God wanted to do something, but you guys resist the Holy Spirit. There was an occasion that some of us are familiar with where Jesus approaching Jerusalem. He sees the city and he just begins to weep over it. Matthew 23 and 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. You were not willing. Friends, prayer and intercession is bringing God into every situation. Not to get God to act like some kind of magical genie and getting Him to serve our wants and desires. But in order that His will might be done, first of all, in our lives and that His purpose in us might be fulfilled as we go out to reach and to transform a broken world. One final thing is important for us to understand. <clears throat> Prayer is not like a mantra. It's not kind of saying the same thing over and over again and having this mantra. Uh, it's not wishful thinking. It's not even the power of positive thinking. Prayer is the way in which God connects with the world. So the activity of prayer in and of itself has no power except that it connects us to our Creator God. It connects us to our Sovereign God. It is God who is all-powerful. And friends, there is a needy world. And God in His sovereignty has chosen to reach that needy world through us. And through prayer, we align ourselves with that purpose of God that says, God, You've given me the authority. You've given me dominion. To be an agent of change, an agent of transformation. And empowered by the Spirit of God, we are those people. Where we go out and impact our world, go out and bring positive change in our world.
It's through prayer that we build our intimacy with God. It's through prayer that we build our relationship with God. And as we build that relationship, we discover what Jesus spoke of. That we have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. And no on earth is a no in heaven. And, and finally, sometimes when there's things going on, people say, oh, I, I can't really help that much. But uh, I, I tell you, all I can do is pray. As if praying is somewhere down the bottom of the list of effective things that we can be doing in a crisis. Let me tell you, we need to change that mindset. Because I think it, maybe it's one of the most important things that we can do. Because as you intercede, we know that God works. And that's why sitting here in Tasmania today, looking at our dear brother from Myanmar, we know our prayers are making a difference. I love what he said last week, that I realise I am the result of the prayers being prayed for me. That's so powerful. And we can be praying for people and places and circumstances. People will never meet, places will never go, circumstances that don't impact us at all. But we can pray having access to God. We can pray and what if we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, bound on earth, bound in heaven. Because there is an element of this where the initiative has got to start with us. You want to see change? Starts with us. Want to see breakthrough? Starts with us. Want to see prayers answered? Starts with us. And we see God work and we see things happen. Any great movement of God has involved a movement of prayer. Can I hear an amen? And here's the challenge. We've got to think, change the way we think about prayer. We too often think that, well, prayer is just one part of the function of the church and we've got you know, kids ministry and youth ministry and this ministry and that ministry and then we've got the prayer ministry. But here's the reality. Prayer is not a part of the work of God. Prayer is the work of God. Everything else we do is and should be seen as just being the result of prayer. Amen. I hope that makes sense. And friends, we need to be a people of prayer so that God will move first of all in our lives and that God will move in and through us to change and transform our world. Let's pray. Hey God, we are so thankful and grateful that we have access to you. Even though we don't know how all of this works, we understand that in your sovereignty, you've chosen to work in us and through us to fulfill your purpose in our world. That's a little bit overwhelming. It's a little bit sobering. But they are, that's your plan, that in your sovereignty, you've given us that authority. Make us people who know what it is to be totally dependent upon you. To be praying, as Paul says, in all circumstances, with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
that we would be people who recognise the responsibility of the dominion, the authority that you've given to us over this world. And that we would exercise that in total submission to you, praying, as Paul says, in the Spirit on all occasions. May we be people of intercession, totally reliant upon you to open the hearts and lives of those people that we know and love, those people in need, those people who don't know you. And may there be that wonderful miracle of the Spirit of God opening their hearts and convicting them and drawing them to you as we work with you, as we take that initiative. Father, forgive us for neglecting the power of prayer. Change our hearts. Change our attitude towards this vital activity of prayer. Make us faithful, faith-filled prayers. And it's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray this. this